Hey everybody, welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes and I'm joining you today with Terry Fakes. We are back at it and it's been a few weeks since we've been able to do an episode together. We've done our COVID-19 on the Frontlines series. We did uh, episode two weeks ago on the Atonement with mm-hmm. Jared and Coy. That was excellent. And we started a series last week. The reason we didn't have an ap- episode last week, we started a series on Philippians that you're teaching going through your quiet time every day. It's uh, basically about a three-minute thought, maybe one observation, one application. And I would tell you that three minutes stretches my ability to fill the time. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's actually a little bit difficult to reduce it down, but it's, it's been good for me to say, what is one big observation and what is one big takeaway? Uh, for me, it's been really fun to do. And I really do feel like I'm just sitting in my living room and I have a sense of there are a bunch of us out there doing the same thing, mm-hmm. studying the Bible. And I think there are. A lot yeah. of people have been commenting and sharing. And um, I even saw a couple of comments that people were saying they'd had similar messages in devos that they were reading. And the goal would just oh. be that people would supplement their quiet times with some time in Philippians every day. Yeah. So every weekday for the next couple of weeks, you'll be doing that. We're going to film chapter two tomorrow, right. I think, uh, by the time this comes out. And we might even get you in a different shirt that time <laughs> than we did uh, the first few times. It's it's bad when the wardrobe changes take longer than the lesson. That's right. Well, we wanted to uh, just record on something not coronavirus related. Hallelujah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff out there about the coronavirus, and it is a very important topic. But uh, whether you check on the news, whether you're reading the Weekly Speak, or the other things that we're publishing, we wanted to do something a little bit different. And part of this comes from the fact that I think you and I both see the opportunity and the need during this time when things are a little bit different to expand your interests and learn something new, spend some time doing things that you don't normally have time for, preferably things that are unplugged. Now, right. I know we're talking on a podcast right now, which is not technically unplugged, right. but the uh, the different mediums that we can enjoy when we're in our houses, we're not um, able to go out and do a lot of the things that we're uh, previously doing. And we know that that's actually a hardship for a lot of people, but I think it's uncovered a, a few opportunities for people as well. I agree. You know, one of my life lessons that I learned as a young executive in business, and I've always recommended to people, is whenever you're stalled... Whenever you can't move where in the direction you want to move, whether that's your career or shelter in place, you know, whatever it may be, build skills. Mm-hmm. That's always been my advice to everyone else. It's what I learned, and that is as long as I'm maybe in this assignment for another year and I want to move on to something else uh, at business, for example, well, build skills. In the meantime, build skills. And this is a great example of a time where we can build depth in our in the Bible knowledge. We can spend more time in prayer, and we can build skills. Mm-hmm. I, I love some of the things you're doing in Weekly Speak, encouraging us to read more widely. Mm-hmm. You know, broaden ourselves. I, I think that's a this is a great opportunity for that. Yeah, I do too. It's the old sharpen the saw, yeah, maxim from the Seven Habits. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about something that I know you're good at. You've actually become known for this, next to maps maybe. Uh, everybody knows that you have a, an abiding love for biblical history, history yes. in general, but biblical history specifically. And speaking as another teacher, it's, it's really hard to teach some of the biblical history passages in the Old Testament. 
Um, when you think about the genre of history, we're talking about books like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, right. big chunks of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Those that genre is difficult to teach. Number one, because of redundancy, uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit, especially in First and Second Kings. I mean, how many lessons can you do on bad kings? And <laughs> I'm, I'm challenged with that right now. They, yes. You know, it's like teaching the miracle passages in the New Testament. If you're uh-huh. not careful to establish a framework for what the author is doing, you end up teaching the same message every week. Right. And uh, the one of the things I want to just kick off to you is I think if we really approach the Bible the way that it was written, one of the assumptions we have to make is these historical passages aren't just there to inform us of what happened in the ancient world. Right. Although that's part of why they're there. Uh-huh. So if we're reading through a passage like that and we're looking to study or we're looking to teach one of these historical passages, where should we start? What are what are what view should we come in with? What assumptions should we be making? What approach should we be taking to these passages? That's a great question. I'll give you my view, and, and other people may see this differently, but I think that the events in history and the Bible's recording of them are not to just record history. It is historical, but that is not its purpose. I think I would even go further than that, and I would say that the historical things that happened to Israel happened intentionally so that you and I can read them and learn the deeper, greater lessons out of what happened. I think part of Israel being chosen, obviously it wasn't because they were more righteous than anyone else. It wasn't because they were better people or God just liked the way they looked. He chose them for a purpose, and part of that purpose was to be an example to the world. Well, how were they an example to the world? Sometimes we think they were supposed to be an example of the world by being holy, by pointing the world toward God. That's true. But I think they were also supposed to be an example to the world to show God acting in history through these people. So the first thing I bring to any historical uh, story, I mean, I want to be careful using the word story, because when I say story, I simply mean a narrative that is true. I do not mean a Aesop's fable story. But when you look at the events that happen, I begin with the idea that it's really not about the events. Mm-hmm. It's really about God using Israel to teach us a lesson. So the first thing I look for is, regardless of the history involved, what is the basic lesson? And mm-hmm. I don't think you have to know a lot of history to get that far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like there are two ditches that you can fall into on either side. And I don't know that anybody is is driving in these ditches, but it's pretty easy to put a tire in there from, from time to time. And, and on, on one side, you have the belief that the history in the Bible is history for its own sake, right. which I would argue doesn't just mis- misunderstand the biblical authors. It under- it misunderstands historical right. authors generally. Agreed. I don't think very many people are writing books simply to relay the events that happened. Right. Even even in the choice of spending time to record the events that happened, there's a choice that's made that's based on some kind of motivation or reasoning or value to say, why are these events worth sharing and others aren't? Or why is it worth sharing these events in this way? Right. Because if you, the first thing you'll notice is in the biblical history, 
you'll you'll spend 20 chapters in six months of history. Mm-hmm. And then you'll turn the page and 10 years have passed. <laughs> That's right. So this is not journalism, play-by-play or um, in-the-moment recording of events. It's, it's looking back for the significance of the events that took place. But then the other ditch that you've pointed to is that by saying that historical writers are covering something because of what the events mean, that the actual historical events don't, ha- don't actually matter. They right. may or may not have happened. And we don't really need to fight for the truth of these events. So right. it's, you know, I, I always think Jonah is a great case study for this because it it's so often seen as an Aesop's fable. Right. Does it matter if Jonah was swallowed by a fish? Well, that's a really good question. Does it matter for the story? Not necessarily. Uh-huh. Does it matter for the character and witness of Scripture about what it says that it is and God who speaks through Scripture? Absolutely it matters. If, if you know... If God is faking you out in the story of Jonah, right. then what else is he faking you out about? Right. And the arguments that it's unlikely a person was swallowed by a fish should be completely dismissed by things that are on every other page of Scripture. That's, That's right. one of the least unbelievable yeah. things in Scriptures, that a person was, <laughs> that was swallowed by a fish. So when we approach history, facts matter. The right. historical narrative matters. The meaning matters. So when you come to a text... Where, how deep do you need to go into the background to understand the Assyrians or uh, the Babylonians or something like that? How do you start your preparation or your study for teaching these texts? Yeah, that's a great question. At the first, it's sort of like peeling an onion, and every every peeling that you pull away is voluntary. It's not that you have to peel it all the way to the inner secret knowledge to really get anything out of the text. You can get something out of the text without knowing who the Assyrians are in the sense that, well, this is what happened. I'll use King Hoshea as an example because that's what I'm going to talk about on Wednesday night. And so I just finished that part. It's it's a great example. Hoshea was king of the northern kingdom of Israel when it fell to the Assyrians in 722. Now, how much do you need to know about that time period? Actually, if you read the text, it's very short. He basically puts his trust in something other than God. It doesn't work, and they become conquered. And so you think to yourself, well, I don't know who the Assyrians are, but I read this, and it's pretty obvious even to me that Hosea didn't even turn to God, didn't pray to God, didn't do anything to God. He was kind of on his own, and this is how it works out. At the most basic level, you don't even have to know who the Assyrians are. Mm-hmm. But the way I would urge people to start is get the general flow of the history of the Bible down. And all I mean by that is, uh, the and I would recommend you consult a map, of course, yeah. but basically that the Assyrians were the neighbors to the north and Egypt were the neighbors to the south. And really all you need to know is Israel has always been in the middle of Egypt in the south and somebody in the north. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the Assyrians, and then it was the Babylonians, and then it was the Greeks, and then it was the Romans. Now, that's not very in-depth knowledge of Scripture you know, or history, mm-hmm. but the point is, oh, it makes sense. Israel's always been caught in between two great powers. That's maybe just the first layer of the onion. And understanding that, you go, I see, this is in the historical narrative of Empires coming, empires falling, and Israel maintains, and it's caught in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. So that would be maybe the first layer of the onion. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know much more than what I just said mm-hmm. about that. So I think that's a good place to start. Uh, most study Bibles have timelines. Mm-hmm. And you know, these little aids are sometimes overlooked because they look very busy, and they are very busy. Uh-huh. You can get down to the granular dates, and it starts to feel like you know history class in eighth grade. Right. But really, if you just look at the larger scale, you'll see, oh, it looks like the Assyrians were right around the 800s and the 700s. And, oh, it looks like the Babylonians were ruling around the 600s and the 500s. And you can get the sweep of history, mm-hmm. I think. Well, how does that strike you? Does that seem useful to you as a, a way to start? I think so. I think uh, for a lot of people, um, you know, different people come to the text differently. But one of the types of person that I encounter is the person who really wants to know their Bible and that means that they want to read a very small chunk and understand all of it before they move to the next one. Sometimes, that, sometimes that's very helpful. Right. But sometimes that can actually be uh, putting the cart before the horse. Yes. Because you need to understand the whole picture. You need to understand the narrative before you can get down into the details and understand what's going on. So I would recommend that people get a good understanding of the sweep of the Bible. Yeah. And uh, even some of the surrounding history and literature that you can get through a study Bible and don't skip the intros. That's part of the, right. that's part of the, the great uh, advantage of having a study Bible is don't skip the book intros. Right. They are that's invaluable. where they're going to tell you the context. Kind of tell you the when and what's <laughs> happening uh, before you start the book. And it's usually what, uh, I mean, the one, the study Bible I have is like one paragraph. I think the uh-huh. ESV study Bible, it may be a page. Yeah. Those are invaluable aids to start uh, the book. It, it'll situate it a little bit in history for yeah. you. Yeah. So I would say don't be discouraged if you don't know what is going on in the big picture until you've read through the, the right. whether it's a book or a set of books in a historical period, three or four times. That's true. You know, the first time I, I remember, first time I read the Bible. So I became a Christian in my late teens. Uh, I was just hungry for the Word. Started in the New Testament, which I recommend. And then Went to the Old Testament, and I'll tell you, I was pretty lost at that point. You know, I just didn't know much about history. I found soon that I developed an interest. I think most people in their adulthood find an interest in history because now they see a usefulness to it. Right. So, but you know, the first time I read through First and Second Kings, all I got out of that was it's king after king after king. Some are good, some are bad, and it's better if you follow God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally—that's all I got out. Right. First and second king. Next time I read it through, I got a little bit more. And the next time, a little bit more. And then I read some books of history, and then I got a little bit more. And I like your approach, Cole, of read for the scope. Don't necessarily dive into the nitty-gritty details at first. Mm-hmm. I think that's so wise. while we're hitting some of these mile markers in your own journey of, of reading the Bible and teaching the Bible, what were some of the important sources or trips through the Bible or other books that you read? What were some of the milestones for you as you grew to love the historical passages of the Bible? Yeah, sticking, I want to talk about the New Testament as history also, but sticking with the Old Testament, you know, I, uh, I'm a, uh, kind of a branch reader, and I know you are too. For example, if I get interested in something, I'll read six books about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a month later, I'll be interested in something else and go read six books about it. And you do, I know you do the same thing. Well, I actually kind of brought that to the my study. And so when 
I uh, began to read, let's just pick 1 Kings or the end of Samuel, for example, uh, moving from the Judges into Samuel into Kings. And, you know, as I read through it, I go, okay, I, I, I now the second or third time through, I realize, okay, we're moving from a time of disorder. Samuel's a key figure, and he segues them into the period of the Kings. So what is going on here? Well, it's a reaction. It appears, as I'm reading through, these guys just can't deal with the Philistines. I wonder where the Philistines came from. Mm-hmm. And so then I take off and start reading about the Philistines and the Mycenaean Greeks and the theories of how they got there. And, uh, and I just got interested in that era a little bit. Uh, and so I just read, you know, just go find books that talked about the Philistines a little bit. And that kind of fleshed it out for me a little. Then when I got into the kings and you you meet the Assyrians early on, and I thought, I wonder, who are the Assyrians? What is the Assyrian Empire? Well, there are all kinds of books out there, mm-hmm. uh, from, from thin, not so deep, to as deep as you want to go. So I was kind of a cluster read. I don't know what you mm-hmm. call that, Cole, but as yeah. I got interested in a particular era, and then the other thing I would suggest to you is be patient. You have your whole life. Mm-hmm. to do this. Nobody learns this in a year. Right. You know, it's just, I got interested in that, learned a lot about the Assyrians. Maybe the next year I thought, well, the Babylonians defeated them and they destroyed the temple. I wonder who are these guys? Right. And uh, so you just go off and you just read clusters and over time you, you realize, oh, I've built up a pretty good knowledge. So I think yeah. maybe some patience and then go where your interest takes you. Yeah. You, will, you will have a lot more fun reading the history that's interesting to you. Right. And so if right now uh, you read your Old Testament and the thing that really strikes you is something in Exodus, well, by all means, go read about Egyptian pharaohs. Yeah. If something strikes you somewhere else, do that. Follow your interest, and I think the Holy Spirit will guide you over time into a full knowledge. So what do you do if you're, if, if you're interested in something... Like Egypt, for example, or or uh, maybe you're really interested in in the flood story or something, hmm. and you find yourself in the middle of a book that is actually damaging your faith. So you're now in the middle of a textbook that's telling you that these events never happened, and you're having a hard time reconciling this account of history with what you see in the Bible. What do you what do you advise for that situation? Yeah, good point. Now you will not find that happen. By the way, when you get into the era of David in the 10th century BC and then on down through 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you'll see far less of that. Naturally, the farther you go back in history, Exodus, say 1400 BC, Abraham, say 2000, Genesis, say way before that Mm -hmm. in some era, you're going to see a lot of conjecture. Are we talking like billions of years before that? (laughs) Yeah, probably about 15 billion years. But no, in all seriousness, the farther you go back, uh, the more conjecture you'll see. You, you may find yourself watching a History Channel documentary on the flood. And I'll just tell you, I have a natural built-in skepticism. Mm-hmm. Is nobody does a History Channel documentary. Nobody writes a popular book and says, hey, you know what? I think this biblical stuff's pretty much got it right. Yeah. Nobody buys that book. Right. And so I have a built-in cynicism, and I would urge that for our listeners too, is I come to the Bible with... I'm, I have a commitment that this is the inspired Word of God and that it is true. And I may not be able to answer every question, but that's my commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm sure not going to sell that commitment out for the flavor of the day, mm-hmm. the theory of the day. 
Because if you know anything about uh, the history of biblical interpretation, and you will learn that, is what people think of today about the flood is not what they thought of 20 years ago, and it's mm-hmm. not what they thought 20 years before that. And the Bible is still there telling the same events. So I would say, yes, as you start to read, don't expect everybody to uh, write a book that says, hey, you should trust your Bible. Mm-hmm. Good point, Cole. Now, what about the New Testament? Of course, there's more uh, contemporaneous literature surrounding the New Testament. And a good portion of the New Testament is not overtly historical, but then again, big portions of it are overtly historical. Yeah. So you get a big genre difference in the New Testament. You do, uh, but I would step back and I would say, don't ever forget that it's also a series of historical events. Mm-hmm. The gospel, and by that, let me be precise, the story of Jesus of God becoming man, the cross, the atonement for our sins. I mean, the the literal historical story of God incarnate, cross, empty tomb. In other words, what's encompassed, I guess, in the four Gospels, that is a historical event. Mm -hmm. It is a historical story relating it to you historically. So, for example, as you read through, when I first read through, I didn't know the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I still got an awful lot out of what Jesus was teaching, and I could follow what was going on. Then I thought, well, I'm really interested in Pharisees and Sadducees. And so I read about them a little bit. And then I thought, oh, I think I understand this even better now. Mm-hmm. And it, I treat it really the same as an Old Testament history because it is a series of historical events. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, you, you bring the same approach to it the more you know about what's going on around the time. For example, it's hard to understand Jesus and Pilate without understanding the politics of a Roman governor. Yeah. And I, I mean, I understood it fine without knowing that, but the more I knew, the more I appreciated that I say this a lot, and maybe it's not the best way to say it, but the more you know about the history and the the context of the Bible, the cooler Jesus is going to be. He's even more brilliant than I thought he was. Mm. I, I find myself thinking that all the time. As I yeah. learn more, I think Jesus is more awesome than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with New Testament, the good thing about that is there's a lot of archaeology there that right. makes it interesting. And by the way, that may be an interest of yours. wonder what the archaeology is around Cana of Galilee and in Jerusalem and uh, again, follow your interests. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're interested in uh, the temple, oh well, there's all kinds of things you can read about the temple, and uh-huh. and just follow your interests uh, with those things. You know, the other thing, Cole, if I could change direction slightly, is the Bible doesn't just record. You said this earlier, and you were right. What happened? It really is very interested in telling you what it means that it happened. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I was talking about Hosea. Uh, the king who lost the northern kingdom to the Assyrians, after it tells you what happened, the very next chapter in 2 Kings tells you why it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Israel for had ignored all the prophets. They had idols and went after other gods, and God had been patient, etc. It interprets that event. I think that the New Testament does the same. I think the gospel writers interpret it. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead... I mean, if you think about it, first time I read it, I thought, well, that's cool. That's different. And then I realized as I kept reading, it's like, oh, they want to tell me how significant that is and what that really means. Is mm-hmm. Let the Bible tell you what that history means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the best practices is if the Bible tells you what it's doing with historical passages, trust it. Yes. 
Exactly. Uh, you know, don't look past the Bible's explanation. I think one of the most common ways that this is done, and this is controversial outside of the evangelical world, is, for example, you get the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And not very much is said about why you get that story right. in Genesis. And, of course, that sparked all kinds of debate because of what's hap- what happened in that story. Uh-huh. But then you get to the book of Jude, and Jude is willing to tell you why that happened. It right. was a judgment for immorality. And there are places like that that if you read the Bible long enough, you'll start to connect even Old and New Testament passages, other Old Testament passages with Old Testament passages. And the Bible actually does a significant amount of interpretation of its own events. That's a great point. And you just raised another hot button to mine, and that is instead of diving too deeply too soon, I mean, to get into the exegeting every word and and that kind of thing, is getting the sweep and the flow of the Bible lets you make connections. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many times little light bulbs will go on in my head from, wait a minute, I just read the whole Bible through in a year, for example. Let's say you commit to reading it through Mm -hmm. in a year, and don't get stuck, don't go into detail like, I don't understand that. Well, that's nice. Maybe you want to go do some reading, but for now, just keep going. And you know, it's funny mm-hmm. how often you'll hit something, you'll go, wait a minute, that connects with something I read a week ago. Right. That is a really good point, Cole, is getting that sweep lets you make connections. Well, it's easy to get frustrated. I mean, it's it, there, for some reason, there's a prevalent um, mindset in studying the Bible that you should be able to understand everything on the first time through, oh, or else right. there's something wrong with you or your faith or it's shaky or something like that. But I, I tend to think of it like if you were learning to change the oil on your car, and you look underneath, and all of a sudden you're really frustrated because you don't understand how a transmission works. Right. Well, did you think that it was going to take a little bit of time to learn that and maybe work your way up to that or right. even take a class or talk uh-huh. to somebody who knows about it? But for some reason, when we open the Bible, it's like, well, if I don't understand how this all adds up, then right. maybe my faith isn't strong enough or the Bible isn't consistent. Right. But the Bible is, is like any other book— it's complex. It requires study. You mm-hmm. have to engage with what the author is trying to say. And so, you know, if we're going to leave people with a few takeaways here, the first one is read the Bible through several times before you get tied up in any of the historical minutia. I would say any of the minutia, theological, right. historical, right. cultural. That's Make that's sure fun. that you're seeing the big picture before you get really tied down um, in any of those arguments. What other advice would you give? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, one of my hot buttons is as you read it, realize part of the reason you're seeing historical events in the Bible is so that God can make the point the Bible is rooted in historical events. And I know that sounds trivial. This is the only religion where that can be tested Mm-hmm. Think about it. There's history in some other religions, like did Buddha actually live? Yeah, there was a guy with that name. Did Muhammad actually live? Yeah, there was a guy with that name. But here's the interesting question. Can those religions be disproved? Well, actually, they cannot mm-hmm. because they don't make specific enough historical real-life claims to be disproved. Christianity can. Mm-hmm. It makes real claims, and it can be disproved. So one of the things would be, you know, being rooted in reality is part of the message right. itself. And uh, 
so I do think that that's key is God working in history. If you really want to, you know, sometimes when I first became a Christian, I also heard that the Bible is God's story. So then I start reading it and I realize it actually seems like a story about a bunch of people to me mm-hmm. and a bunch of stupid people and occasionally a real faithful person. And so yeah. I took some lessons out of that. I mean, I certainly learned some things, but then the more I read it, I realized, wait a minute, God is working in this story. Mm-hmm. It's not Aesop's fables where, hey, this happened, let's draw a lesson from it. God's actually one of the actors in this mm-hmm. story. And I do think that uh, history lets you see that God is an actor in this story. Mm-hmm. But I do have a couple of resources that uh, I would kind of point people to for a broad understanding. Is this a good point to mention yeah. a couple things? Well, uh, the first one is... It's going to sound a little cliche because it's got a lot of maps in it, but the ESV Bible Atlas is one of the best resources, along, by the way, along with the ESV Study Bible. I'm still, waiting, are, still waiting for the ESV Bible Atlas to sponsor this podcast. That's, I know. The reason I like it is this. It's not very expensive. Whether you get it, you can get it in various online. You can get a Kindle, you can get it Logos, you can get it mm-hmm. Accordance, you can get a hard copy of it. But it has several sections, and the two I would put uh, put you to is one is, the fourth section is basically uh, topographical maps of all these areas. And that's fun to look at because it helps you understand, oh, they were climbing mountains when they went from here to there. And, mm-hmm. oh, this wasn't. I, did you Have you ever read the Bible and just assumed everywhere they went was flat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have too. And then, then I start looking at maps and I go, oh, that's a neat thing to add into this is I start to get a little feel for it. But the other section it has, this is the second section of the atlas, is as it moves through the history of the Bible, all the way from Genesis on, in addition to the maps and the pictures, because it is an atlas, it has about a two-page write-up on each section that is the best concise history of what's going on. Hmm. For example, if you're in 1 Kings and you're reading through that era in there, it's going to have several maps about what I just talked about, for example, Assyria. They'll have a map there showing the Assyrians invading Israel and conquering Israel. But the little two-page write-up before that tells you, well, the Assyrian kings were these people, and here's why they were doing this. And there were some politics going on. It gives you a very short kind of a history of -hmm. what's going on. And most people probably don't need to go a lot further than that. So yes, we do need to get them to sponsor the podcast, but honestly, all Bible atlases will do some good. That happens to be the best one I've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing is if you want to go a little deeper, there are, and these are actually probably college textbooks, but introduction to the New Testament, introduction to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. They're like survey courses. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you took that uh, in college. You took something that was a survey of the New Testament, survey of the Old Testament. But they basically go through the whole area, book by book, a little bit of history, a little bit of authors. And so two that I like, uh, these are both relatively new, but Introduction to the New Testament by D.A. Carson and Doug Moo is mm-hmm. really well done. Yeah. And then there's a companion, Introduction to the Old Testament by Tremper Longman, mm-hmm. that's also well done. Now, this is a level beyond. Right. You know, these are textbooks. And then finally, just a couple that I know you've, probably, you've also read, but about a little over 100 years ago, a guy named Alfred Edersheim, mm-hmm. E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M, wrote The Bible History of the Old Testament 
And then the New Testament one is called something different. It's called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He, it is just well written, and it's just got all kinds of interesting contextual information. So those are just a couple of resources. There are a million good resources mm-hmm. out there. But uh, the, those are a few that I would recommend to people that you could go as deep as you want, but you don't have to be a scholar to, to maybe paint in some of the context. Absolutely. How about you? Is there anything in... You know, you're also, you sell yourself a little short. You know a lot of history. You know an awful lot of context of the Bible. Anything, how did you come to know that? Well, I obviously don't have the the same level of passion for history in the Bible as you do. Um, and being that my area of interest is more New Testament, uh, the, the ones that I would recommend are, are the ones that you recommended already. Uh, but the gold standard, I think, for the New Testament historical background would be N.T. Wright's now four-part series. So right. You get uh, the most recent one, which is Paul and the Faithfulness of God, mm-hmm. uh, Then, which is two volumes, but one one work. You get uh, the New Testament and the People of God. Right. Uh, what's what's the other one called? The Jesus and the Victory of God. Jesus and the Victory of God. Then there's the Resurrection of the Son of God. Right. Anyway, there's, a, there's four of these, and they are probably what I would consider the best uh, scholarly, technical analysis, but still readable yes. of what the world was like around the time the New Testament was happening. So you know, what's the background for all of that, this? That, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a gold standard. But I will warn you, if you are going to commit to reading those, it's kind of a till death do you part thing. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not a short read, but it's a really, really good read. And the other thing I like about N.T. Wright I know you and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything he does, but I'll tell you that I think his his examination of the scope and the historical context is without significant bias. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love N.T. Wright's scholarly stuff. Yeah. I think his popular stuff can be kind of vague, a little too vague yeah. sometimes. But that's a little bit his British way of saying right. things. But his scholarly stuff, especially his New Testament backgrounds, his stuff on Paul— is really the absolute best. Um, In terms of Old Testament, I think the uh, the great place to start is with a study Bible. And I think the ESV study Bible is great. I think the Gospel Transformation Bible from Crossway is great. It picks up more themes. Right. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, a good introduction to the Old Testament is always going to be helpful. So, and then, uh, you know, if you're going to study one particular book, I think that... Finding something in a commentary series can be helpful. Something mm-hmm. like the Tyndall Old Testament commentary series is helpful. Those are done by world-class scholars, but they're written in such a way that uh, lay people, people just studying the Bible, can read them and understand them. You don't need to know any original languages. Uh, the, the only other thing I would throw in is uh, Peter Lighthart has done some fantastic work yeah. on what we typically would consider the more boring parts of Old Testament history. So the book of Numbers, for right. example, he's got a lot of great stuff in Leviticus, First and Second Samuel. A couple of his books to check out would be um, A Son to Me, which is his Old Testament theology, mm-hmm. and A House for My Name, which is the book that covers, it's, it's, it's kind of a commentary, kind of mm-hmm. an exposition uh, of First and Second Samuel. And then in the Brazos Theological Commentary series, he has the volumes on First and Second Kings and on First and Second Chronicles. And uh, those are a little bit different kind of read, uh, but that would expose you to the theological side of interpreting 
historical passages in the Bible. So I would I would suggest starting with his Brazos volume on First yeah. and Second Kings. You know what? I, that's one of the books. Whenever I teach a series, which I'm in First and Second Kings and Chronicles right now, I'd use it as an opportunity to expand my knowledge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it into the lessons, but if you're going to do it, you might as well increase your own knowledge. And so I'm always reading a number of uh, commentaries that I haven't read before. And his Brazos First and Second Kings is what I'm reading. And it is radically different mm-hmm. in the sense that it doesn't go through verse by verse. It is section by section giving you the big ideas. So right. I would put an exclamation point on that. That one's worth reading. One other thing I would tell you if you're new to the world of commentaries, commentaries uh, are typically various levels of scholarly, but they're thick. It's, it's about a book and it's of the Bible and it's a, it's a whole book. Let me give you permission to this. I, I didn't learn this for a long time. You don't have to read the whole commentary. Right. You know, I thought... In fact, you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't. In other words, you pick up a commentary, and let's say it's on Ephesians. And so all commentaries are going to start this way. They're going to have a section, quite a big one, sometimes maybe 20, 30 pages or whatever, of who wrote it and mm-hmm. discuss that. What is the setting, which means the historical context, uh, when was it written? What are the circumstances around writing it? There's great introductions, and then you're going to get into maybe kind of a verse-by-verse explaining you know, what the rest of the book means. And there's nothing wrong with supplementing your Bible reading by a little more in-depth. But you have permission to just read the introductory parts of that, too. Just the passage that you're wondering about. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as we as we wrap this up, uh, this is a... Uh, an area of your faith and of studying the Bible that you'll grow in over time, but it's also an area to learn from master teachers. So it's great to get to ask you questions about this. I would just encourage you, if you're listening and you're studying a passage in the Bible that you don't understand, or uh, if you are getting ready to read in your Bible reading plan uh, a section of history, send us an email and uh, ask us for a resource or ask us for, for a question that you have. Um, info at SoWeSpeak.com. We get questions like that all the time and uh, replies to the articles that we post. And if you're wanting to learn more about a specific time period or something and want a resource, send us an email and we'd be more than happy to make a recommendation. So uh, thank you guys for listening to the So We Speak podcast and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.